38. That's kind of a quiet response. How are we doing? Okay, just, just notice that. And we sang some lively songs. I don't know, it's kind of a tired day. I don't know, is anybody else feeling that? Kind of a tired day? I was tired just uh, thinking about uh, the Guatemala trip. They like, got up in the yesterday morning like at uh, 2 a.m. so they could drive, I don't know, three to five hours to Guatemala City to wait for their airplane, to get on the airplane, to lay over in Miami, to finally get to Boston, and then, you know, the Boston Drive all the way here, which there is apparently tunnel construction going on in, in Boston, so, you know, that's great. Uh, so they, they got here like at about 9.45 last night at the church when they came back, so that's why they're not here this morning. And I said, that's, that's fine. I think Jesus wants you to have some sleep. But those of us who had to go pick them up also need some sleep too. <laughs> so here we are, here we are. Great story, great story here. Uh, Martha and Mary, if we've been in the scripture, this is familiar to us. I feel bad for Martha. Anybody else here feel bad for Martha? I, I, I can relate to Martha. Thad read the scripture, and Martha's busy and worried about all her tasks and hosting and all that kind of stuff. And, and I know that, you know, I've been in the position every once in a while, not always, but every once in a while, where we're having small group at our house, and I know that it's not clean. And so I know, man, we need to frantically get this thing cleaned and prepped so that it is ready for guests to come. And every once in a while, I may have, I may have like talked pretty firmly to my children. Why are you not helping me? <laughs> Go get the vacuum, dust rug, dust rag, whatever it may be. You know, anybody else fall into that situation too? We get caught up in our own stuff. There's an honest man right there, raised his hand. <laughs> Honest man, the rest of this sermon's for you, the rest of the crew. You can, you can take a break. You can, yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, if we thought last week's sermon in the first century was controversial as far as who is living the kingdom life, and Jesus points to the, the enemy of Israel, the Samaritans, the hated Samaritans, and saying, hey, this is the man, this is what it looks like. And oh, by the way, this is the guy that actually is the hero of the story. He was actually acting in the kingdom way. That was controversial. Luke then brings this story into the mix. And there's a number of different layers with this story. We're not going to cover every single thing. It's a short story, but there's just a lot going on right here. Um, Luke is tackling some things. He's He's, 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 he spoke to us last week, okay, this is what kingdom living looks like, and boy, this may be uncomfortable for some of you with your preconceived ideas. Uh, and now he's going to talk about sitting, who is welcome to sit at the feet of Jesus. And he's going to kind of mix up some of the cultural norms with the story of what was expected during that day. And so here we find Jesus... In Luke chapter 10, verses 38, while they were traveling, remember, he's, he's on his way to Jerusalem. It said uh, uh, a chapter or so before that Jesus had his heart set on Jerusalem. He's making the trip to Jerusalem. We know where Jerusalem is leading him to. Jerusalem means he's going to the cross. He's going to be that ultimate sacrifice for our sins. He is headed that way. While they were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. This is Martha and Mary. Also, they had the brother Lazarus. 
You're familiar, we're familiar with Lazarus and what happens to Lazarus. Uh, primarily, we see this in, in, in John, I think it is, that what Jesus, he dies, Lazarus dies, and Jesus raises him from the dead. Um, this is the family. This is the family. So maybe Lazarus, it doesn't say in this passage here, but maybe Lazarus was here as well, sitting around the table with Jesus. Now, what's interesting is, is that Luke places this story right here, and I think he's, he's kind of bookending some things. Remember, we talked about Luke early on when we started the study, that what he does is he, he really flips cultural expectations on their head, and he's very quick to point them out. And, and, one, and, he, he, and we talked about how early in Luke that he'll tell a story, and there'll be a, maybe a, a normal character, and I'll, I'll say a male character who's, who's part of the story, and then he'll also share a, a story about a female character kind of tying this all together that, hey, we are all included in this narrative. More than likely, this story didn't happen exactly in this point in time, because this family lived in a town that was very close to Jerusalem, Bethany, and uh, um, so Jesus uh, is alluded to in the Gospel of Luke. He's just started out towards Jerusalem again, but he, he does this to, to share the story, the narrative about what this kingdom is all about, and again, to make a point about who can actually sit at the feet of Jesus, and so he's tying this all together. But Martha and Mary, Lazarus, that's the family. We see in John where they are also hosting Jesus uh, in another story, and Mary's, Mary's pouring the oil over Jesus' feet, and this is the one where in John where Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, chastises her because why, what could they have done with the oil? Oh, they could have sold it and give all the money to the poor, right? And, but it says that Judas really didn't want to give the money to the poor. He just wanted to put his hands in the, the, the money bag and take what he could because he was in charge of the finances for their little, their little movement, their little, little gathering. And so uh, we see Mary again, another situation where Mary is just pouring out her heart and her love and wanting to be in the presence of Jesus and, and follow him. And uh, in this story, we see Martha with her worries. In John's story, we see Judas, who's chastising her. Oh, you know, she's acting in, in a, 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 you know, not a great way. She's, she's spoiling the resources that we have. We could have used them for other things. Judas primarily for himself. And so two things that we want to look at today. We want to see, we want to look at, at the, the, the unexpected openness of the kingdom. And this is, this is a, a, a theme throughout Luke, and we see it in this story. And we also want to see where um, Jesus and, and, and Luke, the, he's highlighting the idea of, of, of gifts, of giftings, and using them as we hear the voice of Jesus, following in Jesus' way and using our giftings in Jesus' way. Because Jesus is not here. It's, it'd be easy to come to this story and say, oh, you know, he's really condemning the, the work and the service and what Martha's trying to do. Well, in the first century, hospitality was everything, right? You go to someone's home, and, and they need to provide a meal for you or, or take care of the guests who are coming in, and that was a huge deal to host someone in your home. The Bible has a lot of positive things to say about hospitality. So what, what we don't want to do is get into this story and say that all, all Martha's work was, was worthless and it wasn't for anything. And, and uh, No, because the Bible says in, in Timothy, actually, uh, elders are to be hospitable right, towards, towards others. Uh, in Acts, we see where the, uh, the, 
Apostles are on a journey in Acts 28. Now in the area around the place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, and who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. A very positive thing about what this man did for the apostles. Now, Gaius, who is host to me, Paul says this, he's a host to me, we're, we're with him, uh, he's staying in his house, and to the whole church, he's greeting the whole church. He greets you, very positive very positive affirmation of what's going on here. And so we want to make sure that we don't come to Martha and, and oh, Martha, 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 right? Uh, she's actually doing, she's, she's doing a noble task of, of entertaining the host. Can you imagine how many people are in, in her house right now? So you got Jesus. He's traveling. Who travels with Jesus? All the disciples. That's 12 guys, Right? And then you got maybe Lazarus is there as well. And I don't know if any of the disciples are married. I don't know if their wives ever came, uh, you know, to, to the parties or the, the gatherings to, to see how things were going. And, and maybe even some other people from the town. Jesus is in town. What happens when Jesus goes to town? People want to go see him. People want to go see him. So this is the weight that Martha is feeling as she's trying to host this dinner party for Jesus. But one of the things we want to talk about is there are plenty of open seats at Jesus' feet. And it says that in Luke 10.39, she had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. Here we see Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I think in this passage, we see that, that Jesus has an, even invited Martha to come and listen and sit at his feet and hear what he has to say and, and be in fellowship with him. Would, would you agree with me in that? Martha's probably been given the same invitation as Mary has to come sit at his feet, to listen, to learn, to hear about the kingdom and what it means for them. Not just, oh, in, from the kitchen, what it means for other people but to come sit at his feet and hear about what it means to actually live in this kingdom. Martha is just living out what was expected of her in that day and age, in that time period. I mean, the society was really divided into men and, and women's spaces and places. Uh, you go to the temple, you go to the synagogue. Uh, it, was, it was really a, a divided culture as far as uh, where uh, men and women would go or uh, could go. There were, there were great household expectations to be fulfilled in the first century. It wasn't like today where, um, you know, the schools and universities are, are open up to everybody, right? Right? Everybody can go and, and learn and, and study the Scripture. Uh, women would have an education up to a certain point of time, and then they were just expected to go into the house and to be married and, and live and take care of the family, which is noble work. Noble work. But they didn't have further education. One of the reasons why, because the housework would just take so long. Can you imagine living in the first century and all the housework and everything that was you know, it was required during that day. You know, they didn't have all the electrical appliances and the dishwashers and, 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 and laundry and all that kind of stuff. Everything was done by hand, so it just takes a lot of time. And so the, the culture was really divided into these were the men's spaces, these were the women's spaces. The men's spaces were at the feet of the rabbi. The men's spaces were at the feet of the rabbi, learning from the rabbi, learning from the teacher, 
One commentator says that this is scandalous because Mary is taking the position set aside for a man during this time. And again, here, this is where we see Jesus just opening the kingdom and saying, here is the value, here is the place, everybody is welcome to come and sit at my feet and learn. And so when you were sitting at the feet of a rabbi, you were actively learning, all right? It says, it says uh, she sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. This wasn't just about Mary being in the same room with Jesus. He's the celebrity. I just want to be in his presence. I'm going to sit, sit off to the side. No, she was listening. She was actively listening and learning from the rabbi, the teacher, Jesus. And this is not normally where she would be allowed to be. And, but, but because Jesus is doing this, we see later on in the Gospels where, where women play an important and prominent role in sharing the good news. Who tells the disciples what's happened after Jesus rises from the dead? The women do. They share that news. They are here listening at his feet, taking in what, what he is saying uh, actively listening and learning from the rabbi. And this is why then we have responses later on of belief and trust. And, oh, yes, he told us that. He told us that. He told us that. I was there with him when he shared that with all of us. With all of us. And Jesus says that, Martha, you're worried about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will, be not, it will not be taken from her. I think this, the, Jesus is, is reminding us that he's, he, and reminding them that he's there right now, right? Uh, one of the things he tells a group of people is, uh, I think it's the situation where, he's, where Mary's pouring the perfume on his, his feet and Judas is complaining and he's like, well, you have me now, right? I'm here now and I've invited you now to sit at my feet. This takes priority, to hear my voice, to listen to me, to hear what I have to tell you for, for today. Again, Martha's work is not condemned. Uh, Jesus loves and values Martha, and we see this in John 11, when Lazarus had, had, ta- had died and Jesus is going to go and raise him from the dead. John 11, 5, he says, Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister. He didn't even mention Mary's name. Loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. In John 12, 2, they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one who was reclining at the table with him. Martha is doing important work, and Jesus loves Martha. In fact, it says she's she's serving. This is the same word that that we use for for, uh, the the idea of deacon, which is a, a servant in the church. She's serving. This is a noble, important thing. In fact, it's so important... It's so important for the church that the acts of service are so important that when it comes to Acts chapter 6 and and they have a little complaint in the church because there's a group of people who who aren't being taken care of, a group of widows who aren't being taken care of, and the the apostles come together, they get together and says, hey, we need to solve this problem, right? And we're going to assign deacons to go and serve the table, serve the people so that the word is not hindered, so that we can go continuing to preach and teach and pray but these tasks need to be handled. This work needs to be done. And so the idea of serving in the Bible, it's a noble thing. It's recognized as a vital ministry so that the word is not hindered. 
And the apostles recognized this when, when people were complaining to them that these things aren't happening. And so they, they said, we need, to, we need to get a group of people together and we're going to task them with serving other people, with, being, uh, with, get, with the gifting of hospitality. And this is where you have something like the, the role of the deacon uh, rising up so that the word will not be hindered. And here's Martha. Martha, it says, was distracted by her many tasks. Do you ever get distracted? Do you ever get distracted? Jesus says, hey, you're worrying about many things. Do you ever struggle with worry? Do you ever struggle with worry? I, we could raise our hands. I'm sure that all of us would raise our hands. Another honest man here raises his hand. Right, right. And uh, so if we're honest with ourselves, it's so easy to get bogged down with the little things in life, the little tasks in life. Do you think Jesus was concerned about the meal? As Jesus is sitting there and he's, he's teaching and he has his students around them and he's invited everybody in the house to come sit at his feet and to learn. Do you think Jesus is concerned about the meal? He may have been hungry, just like the rest of them, right? He may have been hungry, so uh, he's, he's ready to eat. Uh, but do you think he was like as concerned about the meal as Martha was? You know, Martha's concerned because it's taking forever to serve this thing to 13 plus people in this house, probably plus people in this house. But here you have Jesus giving an example. What does he do at a meal? Jesus pauses at a meal. And what does he do? He washes his disciples' feet. You know, he, he puts the meal on hold to actually practice an act of service with his disciples. Do you think he was concerned about the meal? He's in the amount of food that was on the table. Martha's probably concerned. Did I order enough? Do we have enough hors d'oeuvres? You know, is there going to be enough drinks to go around? All these kind of things. Is the main course burned? Is it in the oven? Do I need to pull it out? All this stuff that, you know, swirls around in your head as you're fixing a, a big meal. And here you have Jesus sitting at the table, the one who could do what? Provide the whole meal. Right? He, he sits on a mountain. They, they heard this story. We've already gone through this story. He's on a mountain. And what does he do with the loaves and the fish? He says, everybody on the mountain is going to eat. Not just the, the one guy with the little basket of food. Everybody on this mountain is going to eat. Here they are in the presence of someone who, who will put on hold the, the uh, things like a meal to go and, and to serve and to minister to people. The one who can actually provide the meal for everyone. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, ready to learn. I say sometimes we separate, and sometimes we can have a tendency to go into this passage and separate the idea of, of serving and learning. All right? And we can kind of come out of this passage, oh, well, say Mary is the noble one. She's the, she got it all right. No, she recognized the opportunity. She saw the invitation. She gladly sat at the feet of her Lord to learn from him so then that she could go and live the kingdom life. And, Mar and Martha is on the other side, and she has chosen to, to look at the little things. Again, but within the scriptures, what do we see about actually living the kingdom of life? It's what we're supposed to do. And it requires service. It requires action. It requires going out. It requires putting our needs aside and going to serve someone else. Is that not what the scriptures tell us? Martha's, I think, working in her gifting of hospitality. All right? I think she's working in her gifting. She's just not got her priorities straight here in this story. 
One of the things I was thinking about as I'm thinking about this story, how we segment it, how we kind of break apart the idea of, of serving or action versus actually the study and learning from our Lord, and we kind of separate the two. But in the scriptures, there's never, they're never separate. They're always combined. I think they're always combined. That's the direction that we have in the New Testament. And I would say this, and this may be a little bold and it may ruffle some of our feathers, but I, I just wanted to say it kind of strong, just kind of strongly to kind of put it out there. Action without direction, this is what we see, Martha. Action without direction could be misguided. Okay? Busy stuff to do, busy stuff to do. Got to get this done, got to get this done. But with no direction from our Lord and Savior, is this actually important work to be done? Is this where I need to be in the moment? Could be misguided. And on their side, this is maybe where it gets controversial, I would say that study without action, study without action is worthless. Is worthless. If we're not actually studying to find out who our Savior is, what does He expect us to do, and then go out and do it, where is the worth in that? Where is the worth in that? And so just going out and plowing through life Action without actually direction and hearing from our Lord may be misguided. And I would say that the study without the action could be worthless. This is the point. We're here to live life. What does Jesus say? I've come to give you new life, an abundant life. It means we're supposed to live this life. Live this life. I think in this story, the priorities are, are emphasized here, I think Jesus is telling us it's important. We, we cannot forsake hearing from our Lord and gaining an understanding and for direction in our lives and taking advantage of that with the idea then, as we see in Scripture, of going and actually living that life. Mark 4, Jesus says this, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear, okay, what you're taking in. Pay attention to what you hear, what I'm telling you. By the measure you use it, what is that? That's action. That's an action word. By the measure you go out and use it, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. What you take in from me, Jesus says, and how you go and live that in your life, you'll be measured by that. Does it actually make sense? Does it, does it, does it, can the world see that you're following me, and when you do that, you may find that more will be added to you. So you hear, you gain clarity in your mission, clarity in your purpose, which gives you greater opportunity, greater opportunity. Ever have the experience of when you're maybe meeting with a friend, and maybe they don't know Jesus, and you, you just have that sense, you know, I just need to share with them. I need to share what I've learned with them. And you take that opportunity to, hey, can I tell you a little bit about where Jesus is doing in my life right now? And, and you've got clarity of, of mission. And, and maybe, maybe the response from them is, oh yeah, I'd like to hear more about that. Especially if we're living lives among them that where they see the love and the service and the sacrifice for the greater kingdom, for our Lord and Savior. But if we just take it in, if we just take it in and say, you know, I, I've had great devotional study times. I mean, I spend a lot of time in the Word. It's awesome. But then we never actually broach the conversation with anybody. What does that lead to? Greater opportunity? No. No. We need to make sure that we are actually hearing from our Savior. 
And sometimes, and I, I be honest, this could be me, sometimes busy people, sometimes we miss out on the ways in which the Lord is moving or where he is going. Have you ever experienced that? You get yourself so busy in life that you may miss out on actually where the Lord is going or where he's heading, which direction he's heading in. Because we're like Martha, right? I see so many little tasks right in front of me that I need to accomplish. But if we've actually not sat and said, Jesus, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And sometimes busyness, even for churches, sometimes busyness clouds us from being able to hear from our Lord and Savior. I grew up in a time, in a place where and the church was open seven days a week, you know, like the building, and people were, were filled, but it was like just a bunch of Christian people filling the place. And we were busy, busy, busy. But we may have, had our, we may have been clouded to actually understanding, no, what does the Lord want us to do? This is why we talk so often about, hey, and when we say we want to equip Christ's church to go impact our communities, we understand, hopefully at this church, we understand that, hey, we come together, we have a great time, we worship our Lord and Savior, we enjoy doing that, we open the Word together, we've got small groups going on and things like that, but what's the reason for that? It's actually to go out, get outside these, this is why I always say, when we walk outside these doors, this is what we're going to do, right? That's the purpose, is to go to get together, to learn, to be encouraged, to be challenged, to study, to hear from the Lord, and then actually go walk in that. So to be like a Mary, to take it in, to hear from the Lord, to sit in His presence, all of those kind of things, and then actually to be like a Martha, working in our giftings, but we have our priorities straight, and we've gotten some direction from the Lord. We've gotten some direction from the Lord. Martha, in verse 40, it says, was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, this is, these, this is a great statement. This is, this is what we do. This is what we do here. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone, so tell her to give me a hand. What a bold statement. Your Lord and Savior sitting right in front of you. She even says, Lord, Lord, you're my master. You're the one I want to follow. Look at her, <laughs> right? Look at, look at her. Look at what she's not doing. Look at what she's left me to do. Go tell her. Go tell her. Again, I think Martha is working in her, her gifting of hospitality, but she's working in her own strength. And I think this is a key point where oftentimes busyness is an indication that we're working in our, by our own strength and maybe missing out on what the Lord has to tell us, maybe missing out on those times where, man, we need to stop and just sit at his feet and learn from him, be refreshed, be filled, so that we can go out following his direction. So here she is working in her own strength, and she's working in her own strength. She's worried. What happens to her? She gets worried. She gets frustrated. She gets angry and starts pointing the finger at someone else. Do we ever do this? Shifting the blame, you know, something's going on in my life, but, you know, it's a whole lot easier to, Lord, can you see what they're not doing? And oh, by the way, Lord, you should tell them to get in line with me and my plans and my goals 
and the things I want to accomplish. She's pretty bold here. And this is what we often do is when we feel frustrated and, and worried and upset is do we go to the Lord like this? Lord, why aren't these people getting in line? She has very, very high expectations, but very, very low grace in this moment, right? Again, she's not, we don't see her spirit. She's not in tune with how Jesus is, is working, and she's working in her own strength. And again, I, I don't think Jesus is not putting down her gifting in what she's trying to accomplish. It's a needed task. There's a lot of people to feed. You know, I'm sure he's, he's saying that was a great meal after it was all done. Martha, thank you very much for your service. This was incredible. But she's not prioritizing actually hearing from her Lord first and foremost. She's let worry overtake her. Worry and busyness overtake her life. Later on in Luke, in, in the next couple of chapters, Luke chapter 12, he's going to tell his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. We'll go over that in a couple weeks. He's going to address this, this issue of, of worry in Luke chapter 12. And oftentimes, Oftentimes, when we get worried, when we get fearful, uh, when we get down, on, uh, things aren't going our way, it's so easy to, to project that demand or that, 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 that need onto other people. We kind of need to maybe just chill out a little bit. Just chill out a little bit. Stop the busyness and seek out Jesus. I would say that as we get, we feel that worry, that tension, that anxiety. And again, not all worry is bad, right? Actually, uh, psychologists say that, uh, that worry can be a positive thing. If, if something happens in your life and you get a little worried, it's like, okay, now you, your mind sort of gets focused on, okay, what am I going to do about this situation? But it's when we let this take over in our lives and, and build and become anxious, it starts to spiral and get out of control. And this is maybe what Martha is feeling here and we start judging other people or start projecting onto other people the things that we feel like we're failing in. And for Martha, she's starting to get angry with her sister about what her sister is not doing when she has taken on the task of working in her own strength and not hearing from her Savior. Again, I'd say that action without direction could be misguided and then again, on the opposite side, as we're talking today, study without action is worthless. It's a combination of the two. It's a combination of the two. Peter writes something in his, one of his letters, and I think this would be further instruction and encouragement for people like Martha in this story. First Peter 4, 7 through 11 Peter says this, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert, sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable, there it is, to one another, without complaining. Just as each of you has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. 
If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides. Strength, I think, and direction God provides. So that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen, Peter says. I think those would be words for a Martha and maybe some of us who can step into her shoes on occasion. And what do we do is if we would unpack this passage of Scripture, Peter says, ah, be ready, be ready, be sober-minded, be ready for prayer. What does prayer do? It puts us at the feet of God, right? Puts us right there at the feet of God to hear what God would have to share with us in that moment and in that time. It gives us communion with God. He says, above all things, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sin. It's a life of love and grace and forgiveness as we are in relationship with one another. Where we see in this story, Martha gets frustrated about her situation and starts to point the finger and starts to blame other people and starts to tell the Lord what he needs to do for her. She got that backwards. No, the Lord tells us what we need to do for him. And then we go out and serve. So we live in prayer, with a life of prayer and communion with God. We live with grace and love and forgiveness for those who are around us. And we do live a life of service. We live a life of service, it says uh, in, this, in this passage, by following direction from God, God-given direction, and working in His strength and not our own If anyone speaks, let it be one who speaks of God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides. Why? So that God may be glorified. God may be glorified. I imagine Martha working in her house, and she's seeking a little glory from how she has it together and what she's done and the meal she's put together. And this is often the case, I think, for us too. This this is what I've done. I want a little recognition. I want a little praise. Lord, do you see the work that I'm accomplishing here when really what we do is for whose glory? It's for God's glory. For God's glory. This is what it means to live in God's kingdom. We were always looking for God to be glorified. And again, we go to communion with God. We live a life of love and grace and forgiveness with one another as we're in relationship. We serve, we sacrifice, we live out kingdom values that that feel like sacrifice because it's not the kingdom of this world. And we act differently, and it's going to feel like sacrifice. And it's all for the glory of our Lord and Savior, the God that we worship, the God that put himself on the cross for our behalf, to sacrifice himself. The one who goes to the table says, hey, pause the meal. I'm going to wash every single person's feet here. I'm going to serve you, serve you like a, a slave does in this culture. I'm going to take on that position of a slave for you to serve and to wash your feet. And the next, next day we're going to see him. He's walking to the cross, taking that walk to the cross on his own, right? Carrying the cross up the hill for our behalf to go be hung on that to take away the sins of this world. Again, I think Martha, sometimes we give her a bad rap. But I think often we act like Martha. 
And we get caught up in the little priorities, the little things, without actually hearing and sitting and listening to the voice of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and says, this is where I'm going. This is where I'm going. This is where you fit in. This is where you go. This is how you serve. Because as we see in the Scripture, it's a balance. We live this balanced life of, of definitely hearing from our Savior, but actually going and doing what He tells us to do. Because action without direction, if we're not listening to our Savior, could be misguided and lead us off into a ditch. And just study and contemplation without action is worthless. It's not actually living out the kingdom life that we've been called to live. Lord Jesus, we come to you today. We pray, Lord, that in the busyness of our lives, that, Lord, we would take time to focus on you, to focus on what you are trying to accomplish in our communities, where you are going, where you are leading your church. Let us get, not get bogged down by the distraction of all the, the little tasks and the busyness, even the things that oh, they may seem to bring us glory, Lord. If it's not bringing you glory, uh, then it's not worthwhile. So, Lord, I pray that our desire would to do everything that we can to, to serve your kingdom and to bring you glory because you are our Savior, you are our Savior and you are our Lord. We come in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.